what we do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome, welcome to The Hustle Sold Separately. We are a weekly podcast dedicated to doers, creators, entrepreneurs, hustlers, artists, uh, people in and out of the world, in and around the world that you're in your thing, you're on your vibe, you're, you look, you're, you're non-traditional thinkers and I totally get it. We get you, my guests get you, you're probably very outside of the box and probably people look at you as if you're crazy. So this is the perfect environment and community for you because you're not you just prefer to do things a little bit different than conforming. And everybody that comes on here will pretty much tell you the same. And uh, I'm very grateful. Our podcast has been growing phenomenally fast and I couldn't do it without all of you for, so I, I, I truly appreciate it. We have a lot of new listeners. So it's nice to meet all of you new listeners. I'm Matt Gottesman. If you want to connect with me at Matt Gottesman on Instagram, uh, you guys know for the last seven years, well, some of you may not know because you're newer, but I answer every single DM, text, reply, and message on my wall for the last seven, eight years. Uh, it all started with at HDF Magazine, where you can go over there on Instagram. And uh, there's a community of about 130,000 of us there. And it's the intersection of uh, culture, creativity, and entrepreneurship, and really challenging ourselves to have really raw conversations, just like this podcast. And of course, you can also find me at Hustle Sold Separately on Insta as well. And you guys know you can always email me and I'll do my best. I remember the team will get back to you. And uh, just really, really grateful for the new listeners as well as my, my original crew, my original that were down from the beginning. As you guys all know, I, this podcast does not glamorize or glorify in success. Often at times I found that media was doing that. We're missing the um, in-between part and... I'm very passionate about that, and I love bringing on guests as well to talk about what's happening in real time. What are we learning about, um, whether it's our first venture or our 50th venture, what's, what's happening and, and what are some of the things that we're missing, almost humanizing the entrepreneurial and creative journey um, that sometimes just doesn't get talked about, right? Because everybody loves the end success and the overnight story, overnight success stories, quote unquote. And it's not that way. I'm sorry. It's not, I'm sorry I'm not sorry, but it's just not that way. And so we get really, really raw and talk about things that are happening to us on both an interpersonal level and a professional level. And I've got another really, really great guest today uh, I'm excited to have uh, because her background is incredible, uh, what she has been able to do for businesses. And um, we're going to touch on some very sensitive subjects that I believe, uh, especially for a lot of creative entrepreneurs um, who've built really great companies, sometimes have a hard time probably letting go and thinking about why would I ever exit and why would I ever you know, let go of something. But we're all constantly growing and that's a part of the process. And we might want to move on to other things or we might want to think about detaching from the business if it's not necessarily, not, I wouldn't say lifelong, but just that having a plan as a just in case. But I know my guest is going to take it much further than that. I've got Michelle Seiler Tucker on. She's the founder and CEO of Seiler Tucker Inc. And um, she's a 20-year veteran in mergers and acquisition, sold hundreds of businesses, she owns and operates several successful companies and holds the following professional designations. Just so you realize this is not easy. Merger and acquisition uh, master intermediary, certified senior business analyst, certified mergers and acquisitions professional, certified business broker, and a panelist for M&A source and a keynote speaker. Let me just give you an idea. Like that takes some, <laughs> that takes some chops. That takes some time to get those and uh, to really apply them. And she's also a best-selling author 
of the book Sell Your Business for more than it's worth. So go check that out. And she's also got uh, a book ready for pre-order, Exit Rich, The 6P Method to Sell Your Business for Huge Profit. We're going to talk a little bit about this, uh, a lot about this today. And then um, in addition to being featured in Inc., Forbes, and USA Magazine, she's also makes regular radio and TV appearances on Fox Business News, CNBC, and she's spoken alongside lots of uh, 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 very highly experienced people, Eric Trump, Kathy Ireland, Mayor Rudy Giuliani, Donna Karen, Stedman Graham, Randy Zuckerberg, Steve Wozniak. So uh, she's been uh, she's been around some pretty um, uh, epic people and then also shares her wealth of experiences with prospective M&A advisors by conducting multiple training, mentoring, and partnering programs. And then over the years, these programs have also helped many individuals become successful M&A advisors and business brokers. Uh, and she's recognized as a leading authority on buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. So for any of you guys listening, no matter what stage you're in, um, especially those that are further along, listen up. Uh, and her passion is to save businesses that might otherwise close. So perfect transition there, just to let you guys know that this is something that she's very focused on. And by identifying and connecting the top mistakes business owners make, Michelle fine-tunes the business into a well-oiled machine, sometimes investing her own money to help owners build their business uh, Michelle's primary objective is to sell for huge profits. Uh, Michelle Salatecker's remarkable track record provo- proves her dedication to her clients and has solidified her as a formidable force in the industry, closing nearly 98% of all written offers and on average obtains 20 to 40% above asking price. So you might want to listen and then you might want to <laughs> reach out to her afterwards. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the book and, and, you know, you can also find her on SylerTucker.com. But we'll, we'll get into all of that here in a little bit. But Michelle, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much. And thank you for reading that very long bio. <laughs> yeah, but you know what, though? Um, context, you know, because the audience, uh, well, and I've said this before, people come on the show, especially who are very busy. And how often do we celebrate? About two minutes and then we move on to the next thing. <laughs> and so it's always nice when somebody else celebrates, you know, your journey. So um, really appreciate it. And I, I told you before the show, first question is always the same. How did we get here? Like what, what, what was the, because this is a massive background with a lot of experience, a lot of certifications that, um, you, that you absolutely need to have in this particular case. Um, where did it all begin? And you can go as far back as you want. So, you know, I tell you, it it has been a long journey. I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. I've always owned businesses. I mean, from the young age at 15, I've owned businesses. But then I kind of got sucked up into corporate America where I went to work at Xerox. Mm. And I was working at Xerox and my nickname there was The Closer because every time somebody couldn't close a deal, they would bring me on. And they very quickly promoted me to regional manager over 85 unruly salespeople. And I just wanted entrepreneurship. I wanted to keep doing, you know, entrepreneurship, but I didn't want to leave my six figure position making, you know, great money, great benefits, et cetera. So I actually um, was working at Xerox and, and started looking for a business or a franchise I could buy and operate on the side. And I came across this one franchise that had a few locations and I made an offer to, to buy one of the franchises. And they said, no, we don't want to do that. We know of your reputation. And um, because I was very well known in, in the city and very well known um, as Xerox. And they said, we want you to partner with us and we'll give you a franchise. Mm, wow. <laughs> so I said, wow, OK, well, let me take a look at that. 
But, you know, they had only sold a few franchises on their own. So I said, look, I'm not going to leave my corporate position to become a partner with you. Let me just try it out for six months and see how it goes. So kept working at Xerox and nights and weekends, I would travel all over the, the United States and attend trade shows, put on my own events. And I so I made more money in six months than I made an entire year at Xerox. So goodbye. <laughs> I said goodbye. <laughs> and everybody's like, what are you crazy? You're leaving a great job with great benefits to go partner with somebody who's not successful. Well, anyway, we sold hundreds and hundreds of franchises and things were going really, really well until the franchisor was overpromising and underdelivering and not mm. servicing the franchisees. Um, but that's kind of where my career began as a franchise development consultant and sales, you know, sales. So I really specialized in consulting franchise in consulting people who want to start a franchise, doing franchise development, and then doing franchise sales. But anyway, I ended up partnering, um, ended up separating that partnership. Um, they bought me out, and then I started my mergers and acquisitions career. So I started selling businesses. Back then it was smaller businesses. It was coffee shops, pizzerias, you know, those types of things. And then I started getting into selling larger deals. And now we sell businesses that are $10 million and up um, in purchase price. And, you know, I learned very quickly that, that eight out of 10 businesses don't sell. So mm -hmm. if I'm going to feed myself <laughs> and not starve, I had to learn very quickly how to fix the businesses, what makes a business run smoothly, what a buyer is wanting to buy. And I really had to figure out how to fix these businesses so I could grow them so I could build them that, so they are actually sellable for the for the owner's price tag, you know, for their desired price tag. So that's kind of how my career got started. So I really transitioned very quickly from selling franchises into selling businesses and selling large businesses and not just selling businesses. Now I partner with business owners and I help them build a business that's sellable um, because like I said, eight out, out of 10 businesses won't sell. And we also buy businesses and flip them as well. And how many years was that run? Has it been? 20, a little over 20 years. Thank you for sharing that, by the way. I want the audience to hear that so they know <laughs> it's not overnight. <laughs> oh, no, it's not overnight. You know. I mean, my first closing that I went to, I went without a lease. And the attorney's like, where's the lease? And I go, what lease? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you had to have a lease. Yeah. So, you know, it's I, I made mistakes along the way. I've learned, you know, things the hard way. Um, but we've done extremely well. I've sold over 500 companies myself and my, my firm has sold over a thousand. Wow. You know, and th by the way, thank you for sharing that part too about, you know, what lease. Cause I, I feel like you get so many people who get stuck in the head that they think that they have to have all the details. I'm like, you couldn't possibly know the details until all of a sudden somebody asked for it and you go, Oh, I need that. You're like, all right, now, now I'll go get it. And you're like, yeah, that's how you build. You just, whatever you don't know, you'll figure out. <laughs> that's right. Cause it's not what you know that gets you in trouble. It's what you don't know. But you know, I tell you just when I think I know everything, <laughs> oh, yeah. say, oh, do you have that? And I'm like, Oh, what is that? <laughs> Absolutely. So, so yeah, you don't you might not have all the details and, and know all the answers, but you need to know where to get them. You know, um, when it comes to especially since you're partnering with companies now and making them sellable, I heard something uh, a, a couple years back, and I thought it was really interesting, and it and it makes sense, and um, especially since I used to work with with VCs quite a bit and watching them how they would invest in companies and where the dollars would go, but. Uh, I heard from a particular individual was like, look, when you look at a business, go look at who you would potentially get it acquired by. 
and go look at all the different people that would acquire it and say, and then not only that, but like go look at them and say, hey, just out of curiosity, what are you looking for when you acquire? And they would go to those businesses and say, like find out all those things out. Like, cool. So if something, if a company had those things, you would then, you would then potentially acquire them. And they're like, yeah. And so he would then work with the the startups and the and the businesses, and, and that was the whole approach. Was hey, um, let's let's get this to this this phase, and then we're going to go right out to the market, and whoever you know turns us down, it'll be fine. Like because there's twenty of you that are all looking for the same thing. So if you say no to this, <laughs> I'll go to this person or this person. <laughs> and so whoever wants it, because you all needed it, you all said that that was something that was needed in your business, and we got that within eighteen months. So let's start the bidding. <laughs> and I thought it was, you know, it's cool. It's like reverse engineering for customers in general. Like find out what right. the customer needs, right? And then just right. build for solve for why, right? So, right. um, how, what happens when you go in to these businesses? Um, is it emotional? Are there attachments? Like, is it, you know, what? Why hadn't they thought of for those that you know potentially would want to exit, or maybe they hadn't thought about exiting? What What's the hang up there? What do you think that the hang ups have been? So, you know, there's lots of hangups. I know. You know, I always say, <laughs> always say the biggest mistake that all business owners make is they don't plan their exit. And mm. what you what you just talked about is very prudent because you really should reverse engineer it. And nobody does that. I call it the Solar Tucker GPS exit model. Um, but it's so important to to plan your end game the day you start or buy your company. You need to come up with your destination. You need to ask yourself, what do I want to sell my business for? You know, and in what time frame? So number one, it's just like a GPS. What's your des destination? What's your end game? What do you want to sell your business for? Then you need to know your current location. Where are you starting from? Then you need to know in what time frame? Five years. So you want to sell your business for $20 million in five years. And right now you have a $5 million company. And then what you just said, Matt, is you need to know who those buyers are. Mm-hmm. And what are those buyers, what is their criteria? What are they looking for from a gross revenue standpoint? What are they looking for from a net profit standpoint, EBITDA uh, standpoint? And then the company needs one on all six cylinders, which we'll get into soon. So that's the, that's the GPS exit model that nobody does. What are the hangups? The biggest hangup is that nobody thinks about selling their business till they have to do mm. the ex external or internal catastrophic event, COVID. Restaurants are trying to sell. Guess what? Newsflash, restaurants are not sellable right now. <laughs> right. You know, but they're trying to sell because they're dying. So the worst time to sell your business is when a catastrophic event occurs. If you get diagnosed with cancer or, or have a heart attack or something like that, that's when people start thinking about selling their business. By then, it's too late because the business is typically trending downward. You need to sell your business when you're building well and trending up. But nobody really thinks about it because business owners are stuck in their business. Mm. They don't really think about planning for that exit. I think it's quite funny because, you know, if you have children, what do you do? You plan your entire future out, whether they want you to or not, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you don't plan for your exit. <laughs> right. And it is emotional. It's, you know, it is emotional. Most business owners are like, this is my baby, you know. And the biggest thing is a seller will never sell, Matt, if they haven't planned their beginning. Mm. What are they going to do next? So I really sit down with my clients and ask them, okay, if you don't own this anymore, what are you passionate about? What? Did you do as a kid? What do you love? What still gets your juices flowing? What are you excited about? You know, and a lot of times a business owner will say, oh my God, I always love this. Or I always love to do that. 
I was selling a manufacturing company one time and the seller kept going back and forth and I bought them so many offers and they would find every reason to not accept that <laughs> offer. And I'm like, listen, you guys, we have to figure out what you're going to do after you sell your business. Because if we don't plan your beginning strategy, you will never finish your exit strategy. So husband and wife, actually, they called me in the middle of the night and they said, hey, we figured it out. We figured it out. We had an epiphany. We've always been passionate about bed and breakfasts. We're going to take the proceeds of the sale and we're going to open up or buy a bed and breakfast. Guess what? The very next offer I bought them, they accepted. Mm, beautiful. Because <laughs> they, they had clarity. You brought them they clarity. They had clarity. Yeah. I call it the empty nester sim- syndrome. When all of your kids leave, you know, the husband and wife are looking at each other and going, now what? We have to like talk to each other. <laughs> like, what do we do now? <laughs> kind of like when you get rid of your business, you don't know what you're going to do next. Right. So it's really important to figure out what you would do, rather that's retirement, rather that's find another business. You know, you got to figure out your beginning strategy before you can enter into your exit strategy. You know, I'm really glad that you you brought that up, and um, and it took me it took me quite some time to get to that point um, where in the most recent venture that I created a, a growth market agency, everything was planned from this. I mean, it still needs improvement, but everything from the start was this approach has to be done all completely different than anything I've ever done before. <laughs> I finally check you, you have to really check yourself and be like, what does a, a potential exit look like? If it does keep around, cool. What is a succession plan? Who might take that over because it's being built in a certain way that just has a lot of recurring um, billables in there? You know, like what are all, you know what I'm saying? Like it was, it was the right. first time I ever really actually took a look at like, what's the end game look like? Or at least the, the vision of it. And then let's reverse engineer everything to that. And then- right. That'll be a, a, and then, but 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 you brought up really good points. Is that it's not always about. I think people, oh no, I, we want to be in this for life. Yes, but you're not going to be living for the rest of your life. <laughs> like there's, there's, <laughs> death is is certain. It, it can happen, or life changes. And I, I think that if we don't plan for flexibility of life changing, um, you know that can really that can really nip us, that can really catch us off guard. And I think that's, it's, it's brilliant that you do that for people like, hey, look, yes, I know that you love this, but the reality is at some point, something just may change and you, or, you know, right. in any number of ways from health to just wanting to do something else, it's very quite possible, right? Right. And, you know, it used to be that, that families would pass their business on from generation to the next generation. Well, nowadays, Kids don't want anything to do with their <laughs> family businesses. So very few of those, a very small percentage of those companies are actually getting passed on to the next generation. Mm. So it's now more important than ever before for business owners to really think about their exit and plan it, plan your exit. Uh, so it's, it's, such, and it's, it is an interesting, the generational gaps now too, because it's like, you, you've got this kind of whole new, well, with the internet and so many new opportunities in general and people being able to explore themselves now more than ever. Yeah. I, I feel like, um, the passing of a, of a business to another is, is really, um, probably rapidly declined. You know, another, another question I was going to ask you too, you know, it's interesting when you're bringing up like the whole restaurant and like obviously during COVID selling now is, is not a, um, a good, <laughs> it's not a good time because you're on a downward trend, but what about the revert? Like, do you ever, do you uh, do you play on that side as well too, where you go, wow, like this can be like real estate, like wow, this can be picked up for like a really good deal, um, and I know just the person to, you know, 
to buy it. <laughs> you, you know what right. I mean? So, I mean, sometimes it's, of course, you want to go in and help the seller. But if they were like, no, look, we get it. We're, we know we're getting a loss on our restaurant. It's just, that's it. We're out of here. Do you, but do you also, you know, play on that side too? Like, well, you know, and then if it's going to be a good deal, um, hey, here's, let's take care of that as well. I, I absolutely do. Cause I, you know, there's five, there's five types of buyers and one type is turnaround specialist. And mm. we do work with turnaround specialists that will go in there and buy underperforming assets, even in the restaurant industry. And they feel like they can flip them and make them, you know, flip them for a profit. I personally won't do restaurants because there's, there's one thing I'm going to stay away from in an asset food industry. <laughs> uh, but I do, you know, to me, this is a very good time to pick up underperforming assets in any industry, pretty much. And I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of millionaires, billionaires created out of this pandemic, just like there was during the um, Great Depression. Yep. So mm -hmm. there's certainly a lot of opportunities for venture capital, people who have the money to invest and, and have the expertise to turn some of these businesses around. And I've been doing that as well. Um, but, you know, I know what to stay away from. I know my strengths. I know my yep. weaknesses. And restaurants are not one of my strengths. Self-awareness is key. <laughs> what, Absolutely. <laughs> when, when, you, when you look at, like, underperforming assets, mm -hmm. like, when you look at, at these businesses that need to be turned on, what do you think are probably the top three to five things that you notice that they're just not organized with or that, that, that they're missing the mark on? So when I look at underperforming assets, it goes back to evaluating every single business on what I call the 6P method. And that's described in Exit Rich and mm -hmm. my new book coming out, Exit Rich. And the 6Ps really takes a business through if they're functioning on all six cylinders. And number one is people. We look at the people in the business. Does the business have tenured employees? How long have they been there? Are they loyal? Will they stay? You know, is there a management team in place? Um, Will, will they stay with the business? Are they trained on all the policies and procedures? Are there non-competes in place? In some industries, you have to have non-competes because a buyer won't purchase a business without non-competes. Are there employee handbooks? Then we look at product in the business. So we always want to know, is, is that product thriving or dying? So if it's in the restaurant industry and if they're dying, what can they do to pivot? What can they do to throw the box away and do things completely different? I'll give you an example. Commander's Palace is one of the most famous restaurants in New Orleans. And you always need to ask yourself, Matt, what business are you in and what business should you be in? Mm. And Commander's Palace asks themselves, what business are we in? Are we in a restaurant business? No, we're not in a restaurant business. We're in the connecting business, the experience business. We create experiences. We create connections. So what do they do? They came up with this package where they sold um, wine tastings, wine and cheese tastings, and they would have a Zoom, I think, two or three times a week. They had three or four or five, 600 people on these Zoom calls all around the world. They sold the packages between $150 to $500, and they created experiences. Mm. Okay. Does that mean that they're operating in the black? Probably not, <laughs> right. but at least they're doing something to keep people thinking about Commander's Palace, at least they're doing something to generate revenue. And then there's another idea where you can get your famous chef to, send, to, to sell packages to get delivered to your doorstep. And guess what you can have? You can have a family cooking experience with the chef of Emeralds. Mm -hmm. So you just got to pivot. You got to think about different things and how you can get creative so that you can not only survive, but thrive when this pandemic is over. And so you got people, you got product. And then the other thing we look at, Matt, is, is processes. 
You know, Amen. are the processes efficient? Are they productive? Are they designed with the customer experience in mind? You know, you think about processes. For me, I think about one company comes to mind, and that company is McDonald's. Because they might not have the best food, <laughs> but no matter where you are in the world, when you eat at a McDonald's, you get what? Consistency, right? Mm -hmm. They drive, they, they have formulated their processes with the customer experience in mind. Then the other thing that I value businesses on is proprietary. Proprietary is the number one value driver out there. And proprietary, I call it the six pillars of proprietary, but number one is branding. How well branded are you? Apple brand alone is worth $350 billion. Coke is worth $89 billion. So how branded are you? And then do you have federal trademarks? I can't even tell you, Matt, how many business owners have lost money, have lost their business because they did not protect their trademark. They did not protect their company name. I know. Not me personally. <laughs> not me personally. I, I, I have literally trademarked everything. And it was, I mean, it was amazing. I, uh, just a side note, I uh, with this show, Hustle Sold Separately, um, and it's been used uh, publicly by a lot of people. Luckily, I have a federal trademark on it. And sure enough, uh, somebody, uh, two big influencers out of New York radio and somebody else tried to make a, a show based off of it. And I immediately showed Apple and YouTube. I was like, here's my federal uh -huh. trademark. They're like, done. <laughs> and we were like, yep. was it that easy? I'm like, yeah, it's Apple and YouTube. You think that they're going to want to get a, into a lawsuit over a federal trademark? <laughs> but you'd be surprised how many business owners, how many entrepreneurs never Most of them. protect yeah. their assets. Most and of them. You know, it's crazy. I love the name of your show. I love that. So I'm glad you did trademark that. But, you know, same thing with, with all of my stuff, like yes. the six P's and the GPS exit and exit rich. I mean, those are all, be, those are all trademarked. Yes. So you have to trademark your assets. The other thing you have to do proprietary wise is if you got something great, if you got something unique, make sure you get it patented. You know, trademarks drive value, patents drive value, contracts, any type of contracts, especially co client contracts. The more residual income you have coming in, reoccurring revenue with client contracts in place, then the more I'll be able to sell your business for. Now, here's a caveat to that. 99% of business owners never have the transferability clause in their contracts. Ooh, and 99% of sales are asset sales, not stock sales. So when we go to sell the business, if the contracts are not transferable, that could kill the deal right there if the clients won't agree to a consent to transfer. I like that. So good. That's, that's, that's true. I can see how a lot of uh, companies don't even, because they wouldn't, even, why would they think of that? You know, They don't think of that. Yeah. I mean, we're selling a $52 million company right now. And I just met with them. Last week, and I said, let me see your contracts. I told them six months ago to put the transferability clause, and they're like, oh, we've been busy. <laughs> like, <laughs> you've been busy, so when we sell this company, you, yeah. <laughs> Got it. So for all of your listeners, if you don't get anything else out of what I say, make sure you have a transferability clause in your agreements, especially your client agreements, because that is a huge value driver. I can't begin to tell you how many businesses I work with that also have a manufacturing relationship and they have one manufacturer and they have no contract with that manufacturer. Oof, wow. So if you lose that manufacturer, you could be put out of business yeah. in, in a second. Mm -hmm. So the other value driver is databases. Yes. Um, you know, Facebook paid $19 billion with a B for WhatsApp and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money. It's not always about the profits. Sometimes it's about the synergies. 
And Facebook wanted a billion users, and that's what WhatsApp had, and they thought it was worth 19 billion to yep. them. So that's what they pay. So if you have databases, you know, you'd be surprised how many clients don't really protect their databases. So that is a huge value driver too. You know what another huge value driver is? Is let's say you're an e-commerce business and you're number one on Wayfair, or you've cornered the market with a particular product on Amazon, or you have Rush Lumbar or you know Glenn Beck or somebody endorsing your product. That's prime real estate. And buyers will pay for that. Yep. Yes, they will. So that's IP. Now, the, the fifth P is that we always um, value a business on is, is Patreons, which is, their, which is your client base. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of uh, business owners have customer concentration versus customer diversification. And a lot of business owners have been in business for decades, and a lot of their clients are aging out. So you got to make sure that you continue to innovate and market and go yep. after new clients and make sure that you have customer diversification. And then the last P, the most important P is profit. Because if you're not making any money, then nobody's going to buy your business <laughs> in all likelihood. Um, but I always say, Matt, that profit is never the problem. It's always a symptom of not running on one of the other five P's. It's true. So true. Yeah, because if you didn't trademark your show's name, it would cost you money to fight them and you would probably lose and you would lose profits in the meantime, right? Exactly. If you don't have the right people in the right seats, you're going to lose money. If your product is dying instead of thriving, you're going to have decreased profits. So profits is always a symptom, never the problem. Mm. These are so well put. Um, and, and I almost feel like without, if you're even missing even one of them, there's such a huge swing the other way um, because they all work so hand in hand with each other. They're all, they're all contingent upon each other's success. And I love when you're talking about the processes, the processes became an obsession for me over the last year and a half to two years. And that's where I realized, wow, like when you really rein in the process, all of these things, but like I understood proprietary from a very you know early age and I understood product and people and patrons very much so, but processes and profit became, oh, wow. How do you really, optimize how do you reduce waste increase efficiency increase um, productivity and increase profitability by being very smart in your approaches especially since all mine has always been digital and all the stuff that we do for clients is all online like sales and marketing automation things like that so it's like your whole that's your whole goal is to like how do you use systems in a way to really organize the entire process um and it's interesting because if you if you don't you just you're wasting so much time and you're wasting so much effort and you're, and, uh, and then any other number of things, it's just, you're missing out on that. You're not realizing by not operationalizing a brand and, and um, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, and I, and yeah. I think it's very important to design the processes with the customer experience in yes. mind. And so many businesses don't do that, yes. which is why they're failing. I mean, I don't know if you watched the movie, the founder, but that's yep. based upon the McDonald's yes. story. Did you watch that? I did. Mm-hmm. And you notice how the McDonald brothers went into an empty tennis court yep. and spent hours upon hours mapping out the process. Who takes the order? Who toasts the bun? Who cooks the burgers? Who puts the mustard on? Who put, mm -hmm. lays the pickles down? Yes. <laughs> who bags and gives it to the client? And it was all designed back in that day to be able to provide food very quickly. Because back in that day, back in what was that, the 40s or 50s, mm -hmm. it was all the drive-up restaurants and it took forever 
to get food out. So this was all designed with the customer experience in mind. And McDonald's really hasn't changed that process. The processes are the same. Yeah, they've just added more technology as more technologies emerge, right. which is to your point about adaptability into into the market, no matter what you know gener- what um, age we're living through. You know, right? Yeah, and you know, you think about those companies that have design processes to make you mad as a client. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to not turn you into a happy consumer, but to turn you into an angry consumer. So. Yeah. You know, companies really have to go back. And I always say the companies that are winning are the ones who make it easiest for the consumer to do business with them and make yes. it stress-free. Yeah, that, And that's why Amazon's winning right now. So, so true. You're, it, people are already very busy and they've already got a million things going on. My, uh, the goal of us, the way we look at it is, how can I reduce your overwhelm? Right. And reducing your overwhelm and that look on their face of like, ah. Uh, <laughs> that look is is everything because then you know that you're making their lives easier in a world that they're already trying to to understand and 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 gain more control over because they feel like in a lot of ways especially as business owners that they've lost that control right uh, and to see a look of ah uh, <laughs> in their eyes <laughs> you know so you're 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 absolutely right it's how do you yeah. reduce overwhelm or or add value to uh, an already busy life and and make them have to make one less decision but optimize a particular area of their life you know right yeah, yeah and that's and that's what we really thrive to do too at Solar Tucker because you know when we're working with a business owner to get their business ready for sale they're like how much do I have to do <laughs> how much time am I gonna have to be involved and <laughs> you know because they're already so busy working in their business instead of on their business that they can't seem adding, you know, they really can't add them adding one more thing to their plate. So we right. really try to streamline the process and do everything for them. So they're not having to do it themselves and, um, you know, become even more stressed. How, how much resistance do you, I mean, they'll do it, of course, but do you, do you, how much resistance do they give you along the way of, you know, because if, if it was, if they didn't, need it they would have because because they would have already done it so clearly they haven't and now you're you're introducing all these new concepts that need to get done and they're already quote unquote busy um do they do they do they give you some resistance along the way because they're just of course uh, of course they give us resistance and then a lot of times you know they just don't know absolutely (laughs) like they just don't know like they don't know their financials you know you'd be surprised matt how many business owners have no idea what the company is making or what they're making and they just don't know like you know, a lot of business owners run personal expenses through their business, non-reoccurring, and the CPAs don't know because the CPAs don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so we're trying to find out from the business owner, what are you really running for the business? Because we're trying to do adjusted EBITDA and get to the true seller's discretionary earnings. And many of them are completely clueless and have no idea. Um, many of them don't. Look, we're working with a seller right now. He goes, Michelle, Michelle, my EBITDA is $11 million a year. It's even as four million a year. Well, how do you get to eleven? <laughs> right, right. Like there's such a huge gap here. So you'd be surprised. I mean, many owners really don't know what's going on in their business, which is scary. You know, yeah. And I, I, I try to simplify for some people when I tell them, you know, especially since so I'm going through like a nice health journey right now, and I hired a coach, I hired a nutritionist, I did all like you know all those things, and I tell people, I'm like, listen. We don't know what we don't know. And sometimes there could be resistance. You definitely have to, I definitely think you have to be in the mindset of like, I want this change. I don't give a crap at how like much pain it's going to be. Just tell me what to do. <laughs> and then, and sure enough, 
you know, you show up and the results are astounding. Like, it's cool to see the results. I'm like, oh my God, it's only been like four or five months and you start to see it. But yeah, there's resistance in there. And I, and I try to tell people, I'm like, that's like in business, that's in your relationships, that's in your, you know, with a partnership, that's with business partners, marriage, everything. Like, you have to be willing in the mind frame to, I, I just have to lean into it and what can I do yeah. better? And, I agree a thousand right? percent. Right. Yep. So, and, and but you know, the, the biggest thing, the hardest thing is getting started. <laughs> of course. So <laughs> you, you just so got to get started. And, and with selling the business, you know, I, I just talked to a client yesterday. He goes, well, I think three years. I said, well, if you think three years, you better start now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the toughest thing is, is getting started in any of those areas you just described. Well, and, and you know, I can see how they would look at you and go, but. I have to, I have to plan now for three years from now. Like, yeah, yeah. Like pretend you were just about to build your entire utopia, if you will, like five years from now, you know, you've got the palace and you've got the yard, you got the pools, you got the, <laughs> the garages. Like <laughs> I'm assuming you do need a little bit of a plan <laughs> to construct exactly. the whole thing, you know? Exactly. Uh, Cause if you don't plan your exit, you will be planning to go out of business and I'm just going to give you some quick statistics really quick, if that's okay. Please do. So there's 30.2 million businesses in the United States, 30.2 million, employing over half the U.S. workforce. Wow. If we lose small business, we lose jobs and we lose spending power and the economy is tanked. So when I wrote my first book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013, I did the research to find out how many businesses went out of business. And this is pretty much common knowledge that 85 to 95% of businesses would go out of business in the first one to five years. So mm -hmm. startups are at great risk, right? Great risk. And the businesses have been in business over five years are pretty secure, pretty sustainable. However, when I wrote Exit Rich in 2019 and I did the same research, I was flabbergasted. In fact, I didn't believe it. So I had my staff go back and research it over and over and over again. And I learned that only 30% of those startups, one to five years, will go out of business. Only 30%. That's a drastic change. Mm. But listen to this. The business landscape has changed dramatically. Out of 27.6 million companies, businesses that have been in business for over 10 years are at risk of going out of business. Interesting. 70% out of 27.6, and this is before the pandemic. You hear about the big box stores all the time. You hear about Kmart, JCPenney's, Toys R Us, GNC closed down 900 locations. Steinmart just went out of business. But what you're not hearing about are the small companies, the private businesses on mm -hmm. every street corner in every town in every state across our great nation that are dropping like flies. And the problem, the reason they're dropping like flies, well, when they drop like flies, they're going to be forced to selling for pennies on the dollar, closing their company, or filing bankruptcy. And when business owners file bankruptcy, they don't just lose their business assets, they lose their family assets too. Why? Because most business owners commingle assets. They take out a mortgage against their family home to support their business. So this is a huge, huge problem facing business owners, and mo many of them are baby boomers, who are going to lose their entire life savings, their entire retirement plan because of this. And the number one reason why this is happening is because business owners stop innovating. They stop marketing. Yes. Yep. And whoever makes it easiest to do business with you 
is a, is a company that's going to win like Amazon. Business owners, stop asking their clients, what do you need now? Mm-hmm. What are your wants? What are your needs? How can I make it easier for you to do business with us? And how can I remove something off your plate, like you said earlier? Mm-hmm. How can I make this transaction stress-free? Yep. And they stopped innovating, just like Blockbuster. They saw Netflix. They, the writing was on the wall with Netflix. They did nothing. They said they're fat and happy and did nothing. And now they're out of business. Yeah, that's one of my favorite stories. I mean, not that what happened to Blockbuster, <laughs> but like just, <laughs> but uh, I mean, look, I've been a tech geek my like all 20, you know, 20 years of my adult life. So it's like, I, I yeah, I mean, I, I never, I never, the, the sheer fighting has been an uphill battle because I've always been a digital transformation specialist for business. And it's like, are we really going to fight this? Like every day, a new company like shows you the scalability and economies of scale that can be achieved online. Are we really going to fight this? Yeah. <laughs> Just but sure they enough. do because they, the business owners, they want to keep doing things yes, the way they've always of done course. them. And you keep doing things the way you've always done them. You're going to get not what you've always gotten. You're going to get going out of business. Yep. <laughs> you will be excused. Yeah, and that's what's happening. Yeah. And it's really sad. And that's why it's my passion and my mission to try to help save as many of these business owners as I can, which is why I invest my own money, time, expertise, and partnering with them. Mm. And it's, you know, and thank God that you can come in there too with the, the type of experience that, says, that shows them like, look, statistically, here's what's happening so you can understand it. Here's how you achieve it and can get, you know, <laughs> on the right side of that statistic. Right. And, and, you know, and relate to them and say like, I get you. These are the these are the reasons, by the way, why this happens to people. Do you feel any of these? And I'm sure they go, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, absolutely. Like, cool. So if we know you don't adapt, that you could die, let's let's start putting some things in a place that, you know, would better protect you for the future. And I think it's almost like you're a form of like life insurance for, <laughs> for companies, like a lifeline. Yeah. Like you a know. lifeguard, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, go ahead and use that one. Yeah. Right. That's good. <laughs> so, and that's- then a lot, and then, you know, it's, it's, it's sad because a lot of these business owners still don't listen, you know, they, they just can't get out of their head, you know, right. they still are not listening. And in order to grow your business, you have to grow yourself. Yes. Yes. And you have to grow yourself bigger than your problems. Yes. And how do you grow yourself bigger than your problems? You actually lean into them and start solving them. <laughs> you lean into them, you start solving them, and then you align yourself with experts, with people exactly. who've already done it, with people who've already been down your road. It's exactly down your it. path. That's exactly. It's interesting how, as human beings, we try to make everything much more complex than they have to be. You know, and in a very that's a very earthly thing. <laughs> if we if we can get more self aware and be like, you know what. I'm going to use some discernment here and you seem pretty successful in what and how to solve for these things. I'm just going to go ahead and align with you and, and you're worth very much the time, energy and money. And, uh, let me have you do it, but I learn from you at the same time so I can become better. Right. And that's about it. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Now the, the book exit rich, when is that coming out? So exit rich is because of COVID. I had to pivot. Mm, right. Right. <laughs> yes. And Exit Rich uh, is going to come out in January 26. However, your listeners can go to ExitRichBook.com now and get Exit Rich for $24.79, which includes shipping. They will immediately receive a digital download immediately cool. within Excellent. seconds. Plus, they will receive a membership into Exit Rich Book Club, 
where we have all, you know, videos of me doing deep dives and all these strategies and techniques. Plus we have document downloads. I mean, if somebody wants to know what an LOI looks like, it's there. Somebody wants to know what an employee handbook looks like, it's there. If you want to know what closing docs look like, it's there. Plus they get a 30-day membership in the club CEOs as well. And when the book is shipped and it gets shipped in, in January 26th, the book will get shipped to their doorstep. Beautiful. And I love that you're automating that process. <laughs> now you're playing yes. in my world. Now you're playing in my world, by the way. <laughs> yes. So. And you know what, Matt? That's not really my strength. So I always I, say, yep. focus on your strengths, hire your weaknesses. Yeah. So oh, I'm yeah. working with some really good teams now. I mean, I hired some bad ones. <laughs> but we, sometimes you gotta kiss a lot of frogs to find your prince. We hear it, we hear it all the time. We hear I I, I literally um this is actually my mine was started because uh, so I used to audit agencies and I um, when I would work on brand side as a consultant and then uh, I'd have friends over the last few years who knew I was at capacity but they're like can you look at my my marketing firm's contract and they were showing me like all these different things I'm like oh my god <laughs> just like, and they're like well I'd have you do it but you know you didn't have at the time I didn't have a team I was just like I I made a, a great pivot obviously because I wanted to change the approach I'm like I'm gonna turn a consultancy into an agency and actually like systemize everything but you know right. and and you know what it was also to your point i listened to businesses i looked at them like the area they're getting tripped up the most is in this tech part a lot of people don't like it it's not sexy the whole back end like how do you set up all the automations but when they find out that it helps ease their tension but also help deliver their message and really be on those touch points for the user experience with the people they're trying to serve then they get excited and i'm like you right. just they just don't want to hear about the whole tech thing i'm like don't worry the team will take care of it <laughs> so, yeah i mean it's kind of like me i want it done for me <laughs> right of course of course i want to understand it but i want it done for me yeah you know one of the yeah. biggest lessons i learned at louis vuitton moet hennessy when i was i was consulting on the moet hennessy side i had an amazing director of krug champagne i remember he's like matt I love all the digital stuff that you say. It's sexy as hell. I'm like, okay, thanks, Carl. And he goes, this, these people in here that you're about to go into in the board, they have no effing clue what you're talking about. <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, what do you recommend? And he goes, look, just talk business on their level and why they're investing in these things and what do you hope to get in return for investing in those things? Like, what what are you trying to achieve with each of those? He's like, they don't need to have to know the how and how all these guys that, you know, we, that you're going to help us hire, are going to do it and all that stuff. And yeah, I get it. It's a sexy new world, but they're they're ready for change. They just they just want to know what what comes from doing the change. And I was like, that's a very well way of putting it. So he taught me how to speak English <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a boardroom. And it's never, it has been, I mean, a blessing, you know, here we are like a decade later and it taught me everything. Well, that's probably one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received because a confused buyer is a buyer that never buys. It's so true. You know, I, I was uh, working with the uh, the World Trade Center Association and trying to uh, navigate all their, their stuff because um, uh, they actually have over 300 properties worldwide. And they wanted to spend all this money on on creating a whole new web experience. And one of the board members, very, very wealthy board member, was like, why are we spending all this money? And I was, and I had to take a step back and I'm like, see that phone there that I've, I've noticed you on a bunch of times? And he's like, yeah, my iPhone. I'm like, yeah, tell me about the iPhone. I'm like, why do you love it so much? And he's like, oh, well, when I open it up, um, everything is exactly where I want it to be. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And I was like, keep going. He goes, well, it's, it's simple. It's this, it's that. Like he's going on a tear and the CEO knew what I was doing. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, you know what I talk about? Like user experience, user interface. He goes, yeah. And I'm like, are you aware that that company Apple spent billions of dollars to simplify its entire user experience so you can be here complimenting them? And he goes, yeah. I'm like, and I'm asking for half a million. 
<laughs> and he's like noted i was like cool i was like are we i think we're good then right like <laughs> i was like i'm trying to take a very complex process that should be done in three million and do it for half a million in the first year so uh so show me the money yeah so <laughs> <laughs> but uh no this is great and now where can everybody find you online i know there's silertucker.com um and then uh we've got the uh, and then the book what, what which yep. uh, uh but please so let, let yeah. me spell, let me spell siler just so your listeners know how to spell it yes ma'am <laughs> it's s-e-i-l-e-r tucker t-u-c-k-e-r.com silertucker.com is my main website and then for the book, they can go to exitrichbook.com. Awesome. And then online, uh, any social media, anything there? That I'm everywhere. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm under Michelle Seller Tucker on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. I'm everywhere. Great. Awesome. And, and, and Instagram at all, by any chance? You know, I am. <laughs> My team has me on Instagram. Good, good, good. All right, all right. You know, yes. Look, not everybody likes change, but I got to still put you in a little bit of change too. <laughs> That's great. And my marketing team now is telling me, Michelle, you should be on TikTok. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, you know, I, I'm there. I could I be doing more? Absolutely. Should I be taking my own advice? Probably, but you know, I, uh, you know. You you do you do what you gotta do or you, you like you said you have to hire out for it. <laughs> so Bye. I totally get it. No, this is amazing having you on. And I always say this to all Thank of you. our guests. I can't believe it's already been an hour, but I always say this to all of our guests. You're welcome back on anytime. You know, if you want to come back on, I always say it's a journey driven podcast. And there's probably a million different things that you can expand on or or themes that you want to talk more about on as well too. So you're welcome back on again. You know, okay. whether it's a few months from now, six months from now, a year from now, um, nowadays everything changes so rapidly that I'm sure <laughs> a few months from I now. I would love to come back on. And if, if there's anything specific that your viewers would like me to talk about or any q and I'd love to come back on and, and give them some specific advice and maybe, you know, some areas that they need some expertise on. That'd be great. Yeah, it'd be great. Uh, we'll, we'll have to, we could do like a joint Zoom uh, and, uh, and podcast and we could just probably have like people maybe... Uh, you know, call in or, or sit in on that. And then like, they can just ask some questions ahead of time. That'd be great. That'd be really great. Um, so yeah, so I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. Everybody listening, please. Um, you can go find uh, Michelle SeilerTucker.com. That's S-E-I-L-E-R-T-U-C-K-E-R, SeilerTucker.com, ExitRichBook.com. No, this is not overnight. Rich, <laughs> this is <laughs> this is about how do you plan your business so you have a succession plan, an exit strategy, you, you know, you can move on from it when the time is appropriate and you're not caught off guard. So for all of you listening, that's what that book is about. And then of course you can find Michelle Seiler Tucker. Again, that's S-E-I-L-E-R, Michelle Seiler Tucker on all platforms as well. And Michelle, thank you so much for being on. It is an absolute pleasure having you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on. I would love to have you on my show too, Matt, if you're interested. Absolutely. I would, I would, I would be honored. Thank you. And, and hang back for one second. I'll, I'll connect with you here in a second. But um, okay. just really appreciate you. And uh, everybody, for, for Michelle Siler Tucker, please go uh, just look, Google her, go to SilerTucker.com, go to all of her social media. You'll find everything you need. You can always reach out to her. You can reach out to me if you have any other questions or anything you want to ask her. I uh, appreciate all of you guys. The ratings and the reviews are at about 5 million downloads. Well, almost 5 million downloads. About 4.8 now. Um, I, either way, I'm rounding up. <laughs> I really appreciate <laughs> I really appreciate all of you guys. And then the ratings and reviews are incredible. And, and please keep them coming uh, because Apple does uh, you know, make more people aware of the show based on those reviews. So, you know, sometimes we do have to play somewhat in, in the matrix in order to grow, you know, the mission. So I really appreciate all of you guys. 
And of course, you can always ask any questions. So for my guests, Michelle Sada Tucker, myself, Matt Gottesman, and Hustle Sold Separately, we are out. <laughs>